Welcome to Axios Church Online. We're so excited you had joined us here on our online campus. We hope this message encouraged you and uplifts you throughout your week. Enjoy this message. Dive in. 
The first attitude we're going to look at this morning is the attitude of self-pity and blame. John chapter 5, starting at verse 1, says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades, and these lie a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Bethesda is an Aramaic name that means house of mercy. This pool had five roof colonnades, which were five covered walkways where the blind, lame, and paralyzed laid around waiting to get healed. In some manuscripts, the second part of verse 3 and verse 4 is not included in the most modern translations because it is unlikely to be to the original of the text. Whatever the case may be, the reason people were waiting by the pool was because they believed that an angel will come down into the pool, stir up the waters, and the first person to jump into the pool will be healed from whatever disease, disease they had. Something was going on there with this belief. However, it wasn't very clear in scripture, so we really don't know what was actually happening. What we do know is that a multitude of people placed their faith in this belief and were waiting there. And I wonder how many people stayed there waiting to receive their healing and never received it because their faith was misplaced. We place our faith in all kinds of things today. We place our faith in money and people government, religion, ideologies. Today, now we place our faith in crystals and horoscopes and superstitious practices sometimes that are forms of witchcraft. And we even place our faith in relationships and spouses um, to get us healed. We place our faith in many things and believe all of these things can heal us, restore us, and even give us some sense of peace. And when these things fail us, because they will, we want to take it out on God and pull away from him and end up losing hope. I also wonder how many people ended up waiting for so long that they ended up getting comfortable sitting in their condition. Sometimes we get so comfortable in our own conditions that we lose hope. Sometimes we get comfortable in our condition that we end up nursing them, and then they end up becoming part of our identity. What condition in your life needs healing that you're getting comfortable in? What condition have you been sitting in for so long that it has now become part of your identity? When con what it, is it your past you've gotten comfortable with? Is it church hurt? Maybe it's disappointment. Maybe it's fear, anxiety. Is it a trauma you've experienced? Many times we're like the people under the five covered walkways. We're spiritually blind, lame, and paralyzed. Blind because we're unable to see, and sometimes we're unwilling to see God's truth. 
lame. We walk around hanging on to hurts and lies that keep us spiritually lame and crippled. What lie have you believed for so long that has kept you from growing? What lie have you believed for so long that has kept you from walking free? What has crippled or disabled your walk that you don't walk with your head held high? And then there's paralyzed. We also walk around spiritually paralyzed. And there's many things that can paralyze us. What is paralyzing you? What has made you incapable of moving forward in life or in a certain area of your life? Is it fear? Overthinking? What ifs? Has shame, guilt, or a particular sin kept you from moving forward? Paralyzation keeps us stuck in life. So we walk around blind, lame, and paralyzed, placing our faith in things that don't have the power to transform us. Let's read verse 5. One man was there who had been invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be healed? As I was reading this, I was thinking in my head like, hello. Like, isn't that the reason why all these people are sitting here waiting? Like, they're waiting for healing, right? In my head, I'm like, duh, Jesus, like. Like, why would Jesus ask him that instead of just healing him? Why didn't Jesus ask him about his condition or what happened to him that got him there? Jesus didn't ask anything of that nature. He asked him, did he want to be healed? Jesus asked him this question purposely, and it was to expose the attitude of this man's heart. This man was struggling internally. He had lost hope that he could overcome. He feels powerless. You see, Jesus wasn't as concerned about his physical healing as he was about speaking healing into his life. Today, we spend so much time focused and concerned about a bunch of external things. What we wear, what we don't wear, what we have, what we don't have. We spend hours in the gym and all of these things. And not saying that these things are wrong or bad. However, how much, how much time and effort do we put into growing in our relationship with Jesus? This is what matters most to God. For us to be intimate with the Father and growing in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus. So this man came with a sense of self-pity when he responds to Jesus. Like if. Jesus would have asked me if I wanted to be healed. I would have been like, yeah, no, I would have been already crying. I would have looked at him and started crying. Crying and be like, yeah, like I want to I want to be healed. Like I want I want to walk. I want to get up. I want to live, right? But instead, this man gave him a different response. The man gave him the reason why he couldn't get healed. He gave Jesus his excuse. And blame others for his inability to get into the pool. He said, nobody put me in the pool. Like, all these people are here and nobody wants to put me in. We live in an age where we blame everyone for our conditions. We blame our mom, our dad. We blame 
spouses and friends and jobs and pastors and governments and all kinds of things, right? We put our blame on others instead of taking responsibility for our own choices and actions. We make statements like, well, you just know what they did to me. I don't know how, especially as Christians, we like this one. I'm praying about it. It's their fault, not mine, so I don't, know, have, I, I don't have anything to do with that. Um, I don't have to ask them for forgiveness. They're the one that offended me. They should be asking me. Here's another one. I'm just waiting for the right time. Or I'm not ready yet. I'm waiting until I'm better at so-and-so. Well, what if this and what if that? But it runs in my family. Sometimes our excuses is our own feeling of unworthiness, shame, and guilt. Jesus didn't want this man's excuses, though. He didn't respond either to him blaming or whose fault it was. He wasn't interested in that. He was simply concerned about one thing. Do you want to be healed? And in verse 8, Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. Jesus' response to this man wasn't, I know, right? I don't know why all these people ain't going to put you in the pool. And his response wasn't, I'm sorry you didn't make it to the waters. And his response wasn't, I'm sorry you're in this situation. He didn't even say to him, be healed. He gave him a command that had this man experience active faith. He said, get up, take up your mat, your bed, and walk. And I say that to you in the name of Jesus this morning. Get up, take up your bed, and walk. Let's jump to verse 14 and 15. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you're well. And that's something. He commanded him. They're like, see, you got it. You're well. And then he says, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. This tells me that this man's sickness was a result of some unknown sin that he had committed, showing that he wasn't living to God's will somehow. So Jesus warns him. Jesus was calling him to live and walk differently from that point forward. Many times we want God to heal us, to restore us, to bless us, to set us free, but we don't want to stop sinning. You see, sin will blind you, make you lame, and paralyze your purpose and cripple your identity in Christ. And Christ is calling us to walk and live differently. He doesn't want us living a powerless life and live in self-pity. Bethesda means house of mercy, which is beautiful because that's exactly what happened in this story. Jesus had mercy on this man in spite of his excuses, in spite of his self-pity attitude. He healed his sickness 
that he was bound to for 38 years. He gave them hope. And because he loved them so much, he warned him not to go back to the very thing that puts you in the same condition. If you find yourself having the same mentality, a mentality of just self-pity and blame, I ask you today, do you want to be healed? And if so, get up, take up your bed, and walk. The next attitude we're going to see is an attitude of active faith. Luke 18, 35 through 43 says, As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front of him rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Other versions of the Bible say that these people who were in front of him were sternly telling him to be quiet, scolded him, yelled at him. One version said they were telling him to stop yelling out for Jesus. I asked you this morning, what voices are trying to silence your cry? Who is telling you God doesn't care? That he doesn't listen to your prayers? That your situation isn't going to change? That God isn't able to heal you? Who is telling you to quit? What voice or voices do you need to be louder than? This man cried out all the more. I don't know what condition you're in this morning or what you might need healing from today, but I challenge you to cry out with faith louder than the voices who are telling you to stop. In verse 40, Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked, what do you want me to do for you? I'm sure that as they're bringing this man to Jesus, Jesus can see that he's blind, right? And in this situation, again, Jesus asked a question. What do you want me to do for you? The question was very different from the first passage we read. And again, the question exposed the attitude of this man's heart. Let's look at his response. In verse 41, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord... Let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. This man's heart was full of faith. He knew exactly what he wanted. His cry was so full of faith that it moved the heart of Jesus and caused him to stop in the midst of a crowd. He was desperate. And when he told Jesus what he wanted, he said it with faith. Can you imagine, Jesus, you know, multitudes of people. I can imagine people pushing, shoving, yelling. People are desperate to be getting healed. 
And this man's one cry stopped him in the middle of all that mess. His faith and his action, what was his action? His crying out. This is what got the attention of Jesus. Can you imagine Jesus just walking and all of a sudden this man cries out and it's like, I can just picture Jesus saying to himself, oh, I hear someone crying out with faith. Who's crying out with faith? I hear it. Like his spirit, it, it moved Jesus. There's a difference between you whining and there's a difference between you crying out with faith. And that moved the heart of Jesus. Someone is desperately crying out with faith. That cry moved the heart of Jesus. His faith was what made him well. Isn't that interesting? His faith is what made him well. He recovered his sight and his healing came because of his faith. And then in verse, th verse 43 says that the people saw it and gave praise to God. His healing now has become his testimony. The story of this blind man is a story that is very close to my heart. Because in so many moments of my life, I found myself like him. Crying out to God for his healing and restoration in my life. Is it okay to share a little bit about my story this morning? I'm going to share a very condensed version um, because there's so many things. But I want to encourage someone today that healing is possible when your heart is in the right place. When your heart is full of that desperate act of faith that this man had. My parents raised me in a Christian home and taught us to love God. I grew up in Pentecostal churches. Those of you that know, you know. You know that fuego. Gloria a Dios. Sorry, Pastor. I had to, <laughs> I had to take the opportunity. <laughs> I was raised um, in a lot of legalism. But from very early in my life, I genuinely loved Jesus. I knew God was real and that he had a plan for my life. But though I was raised in a Christian home, it was dysfunctional. My parents loved Jesus, but had a very unhealthy marriage. There was abuse. I was the oldest. I had three, two other siblings. I was the oldest. My sister was the, young, um, the middle child, and my brother was the youngest. When we were young, there was a time that my mom and my siblings and I had to live in a safe house due to my dad's um, issues. We eventually went back home and continued together as a family. We continued going to church, and in spite of all these things, God was gracious and merciful to us. My sister and I, like all siblings, were close, but we always had our moments. And my brother growing up had a lot of issues, which I will share that part of my story at another time. There were a lot of things that I struggled to understand, and a stronghold of fear was being developed in me from a very young age. Right before middle school, we ended up moving to Ohio. We found a church there and continued going to church as a family, but my parents' issues got worse. We stopped going to church, and my parents got separated. And during my parents' separation, my mom met another man, got involved with him, 
and he eventually moved in with us. I grew up resenting my mom as a teenager and through my young adult life because she raised us with biblical principles and now was all of a sudden not living what she had taught us. My father moved to Puerto Rico, and that was a big, tremendous hurt for me because I was very close to my dad. And when he left, we ended up growing apart. And eventually, they did get a divorce, and my fears and internal struggles continued to grow. In middle school, I met a girl who started talking to me about her church and invited me. So I went and got started dealing with my heart again. My siblings and I started going to church, seeking God and getting involved. And during this season of my life, reconnecting with God and growing in community, domestic violence hit home. My sister, who had just turned 14 at that time, was murdered by her 13-year-old boyfriend. I was a 15-year-old girl who at the moment had to grow up real quick and real fast. I was the one that found her. I had to call the police and deal with the situation at hand. I had to identify her body at the morgue and also clean up the scene with one of my friends, one of our family's close friends, because my mother was not in a state of mind to do so. I am extremely grateful for the church I was a part of at that particular moment because they were very hands-on, and they surrounded me during that time, walked through that journey with me. But these events affected my family tremendously. My mom went through a lot of depression. My brother ended up moving to Puerto Rico to live with my dad and got involved in a lot of crazy stuff. Our relationship got damaged, so I also felt like I had lost a brother as well. After that, I graduated high school, left Ohio to go to Southeastern College, a.k.a. now Southeastern University. It's so nice there now. Met a guy there, we got married, and the marriage was extremely unhealthy, and after 15 years of marriage, we did get a divorce. It was rough. I lost the house my kids were raised in. We had to give our dog away. And for those of you who don't know, dogs are very therapeutic for kids, so that was like a big deal for, for my kids. Um, I left the church I was serving in, and I found myself with so many questions and very angry with God. I was full of hurt and shame. And the struggle of being a single parent and raising three kids on my own wasn't part of my dreams. Some people who know more details, like more details than this of my life, have looked at me before playing around telling me, girl, you should have been in a mental hospital with all the stuff you've gone through. And I answer, my answer has always been and continues to be the same, that Jesus heals and restores. When I gave, what I gave you today was very condensed. So many times I will find myself praying and crying out to God, telling him, Jesus, have mercy on me. I will find myself telling him, no matter what I still believe, no matter what happens in my life, you're real. And I know that you have a plan for me. I don't want to live my life crippled from the things that I've had to go through. Being raised in church, you will hear these testimonies of how people would do things. I mean, God would do things for people's lives and how God would 
you know, heal and restore and do all these things. And I used to tell God, if you can do that for them, you can do that for me. I didn't want to live my life where the trauma in my life will cripple my purpose and, I, and my identity in Christ. I wanted to live healed and walk differently so my generation didn't have to continue that cycle. The healing and restoration in my life wasn't instant. It's taken me years of sur um, surrendering to God's work, word and the work of the Holy Spirit in me. And there are things today that God is still working through in healing because this is a constant growing, a constant process. But I'm so thankful that I'm not who I used to be and I'm not living where I used to be living in. God has healed so many different areas of my heart and has given me peace and rest. He has set me free from fear that used to paralyze me. I've learned to be willing to allow the Holy Spirit to come in those spaces that many times we don't want to show people but they're messing us up and when I haven't been willing I've asked the Holy Spirit to give me his desires to be willing and allowing him to deal with those areas I've had to have had active faith in Jesus and take steps toward being whole this man cried louder than his condition. You can too. Today I have a, a great relationship with my mom. Jesus restored it. For the last couple of years, I have reconnected with my brother. And God is presently restoring that today. And I have been intentional with communicating with my dad and visiting him more in Puerto Rico these last several years. I want you to know that God is always willing to stop for you. If only you would have faith, active faith, faith that moves God's heart. That is why I'm so passionate about discipleship, and helping others find their identity in Christ and seeing people being transformed by God's word because if God can do it with me he can do it with you as I wrap up I share these things to give you hope this morning to encourage you to walk in faith it is time for us to stop living in self-pityness hopelessness and putting blame on others for our condition. It is time for us to repent and stop playing with sin that's keeping us bound. It is time for us to stop allowing the enemy to distort our identity in Christ. Get up. Take up your bed and walk. If God can heal me and continues to do so in my crazy upbringing, God can heal you. 
So I challenge you today to allow your heart to be filled with faith. Faith that moves the heart of Jesus. Faith that would have Jesus stop and ask you, what do you want me to do for you? Faith that has you crying out louder than your condition. Faith that will make you well. So I ask you today, do you want to be healed? God, we thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity. Father, and I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice this morning. You know the conditions that they're in. You know what they might be struggling with. You know what they might be haunted by. You know what their condition is, Lord. And I pray, Lord God, that they will activate their faith in you. Father, and that they will have the courage and the desperate desire to be whole, Father God. To cry out for you for faith, in faith, Lord God, knowing that you can heal them. And just like you did it in me, just like you've done it in so many others, and just like you did it in this particular man, Lord God, you can do it for them. Help them see that there's hope and that you are the God of dark places, that their dark places, places, Lord, does not scare you, and that you're willing always to go in those spaces, Lord. So I pray that you will heal, that you will restore and that you will help us to walk, Father God, in faith, knowing that all things are possible with you, Lord. I thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Is there anybody sick that they want to pray for? Wasn't that an amazing message? If you'd like to help partner with us to push this mission forward here in Lakeland, Florida, you can go to axioschurch.com, and in the giving tab, you can give a one-time donation or a reoccurring gift. We are so thankful for all of you that have decided to join us this morning. We meet every Sunday, and we can't wait to see you next time. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share, turn on your post notifications, and make sure you're tuned in to everything that Axios Church has to offer.